I'm Nora McNerney, and this is Terrible. Thanks for asking. And this is Talia. Okay, I grew up in a small Orthodox Jewish community. I guess some people would call it ultra-Orthodox. We called it yeshivish, and basically it was just uh, it was a small, fairly insular community, probably about 100 families. There was one synagogue. <laughs> there was one kosher restaurant in town, so that was the fancy <laughs> place. If you want to have a, a night out on the town, I guess you could go there. There were a lot of rules where Talia grew up. Rules about what you wear and what you eat, about how you interact, or rather don't interact with the opposite sex. One of them is what's called snoot. It's basically modesty rules, and it's not as, <laughs> I guess, uncommon for men to wear a suit or just long sleeves and long pants. Uh, but women... Uh, the rules basically are you have to wear skirts and they have to be below your knees. You have to cover your arms at least above the elbow and then anything below your collarbone. Nothing too clingy. Nothing that's see-through. And then married women cover their hair either with a wig or some sort of head covering. There's a lot of different kinds. Talia grew up knowing that marriage was in her future. I mean, a lot of us grow up sort of knowing that or hoping it. But for Talia, in her community, marriage was really something to strive for. There are not a ton of communal roles for single women and in general for women. And so the major role that you play in the community is by being a mother and a wife. It's sort of looked at as the most important thing that you're going to do, uh, before you get married, you're sort of considered like you're only half of yourself. And once you get married, then you're a complete person. It's considered sort of like a very beautiful and spiritual thing to do. And so marriage is is really a priority and it's emphasized in school, in in many events that you go to. People are, are always sort of talking about it. And, and, not, and not just for, bo- for women, but for boys too, right? Like- for boys as well. Yeah, yeah. Love and commitment take all kinds of forms. Some of us find someone, we fall in love, we get married. Some of us fall in love and we don't get married, then we fall in love and we don't get married, and we fall in love and we don't get married, and we fall in love. And we still don't get married, but we stay together. Some of us don't fall in love or don't get married. Just a choose-your-own-adventure of options. But for Talia, the process for how she would reach marriage was very specific. So yeah, in the Orthodox world, we have this system that we call the shidduch system. It's a hard word to say, but what it basically means is it's a system of matchmaking. Let's say you're a 19-year-old girl and you just came back from your year in Israel. You'll put together a resume and it's going to list basic information about you who your parents are, what community you belong to, and it'll have some references. Give that resume to a matchmaker. A shadchan. And then what generally happens is she'll send your resume to the boy's mother. The boy's mother will review it, which I personally love. Does it? Do you meet her requirements? She's going to call your references, any other people she can find, all to see if she thinks the match would be good. If she thinks so, she'll send her son's resume 
back to the girl's mother. And then the mother will look through the boy's resume, call all of his references, etc. If both sides approve of the the potential match, then the shadchan or the matchmaker will set up a date between the two individuals. And then if you've gone on about anywhere from one to ten dates and the two individuals decide that they like each other and everything checks out, then you'll get engaged. And engagements usually last, I would say, somewhere between anywhere from one to three months. um, And then you'll get married. (laughs) So what is the role of love? Like, when does love develop? (laughs) Or when does love happen? When does love show up in this process? Love is a great question. Um, So I think it depends on who you ask. Uh, But in general, um, I think love happens after you're married. In Judaism, there's an expression that basically love comes from giving. Um, And so once you're married and you have to give to the other person a lot, you have to sacrifice things, you have to sort of try to um, make them happy, then that will lead to love growing. Um, Love is not (laughs) necessarily something that is a prerequisite. That's what I keep telling my husband. Like, don't worry. I'll grow on you. You'll, you'll warm up to me. <laughs> Just Don't sweat it. Don't be so concerned. with it. Things are good. Things are good. Things are fine in my household. Talia's community was small and tight-knit, which meant that more than likely she'd be marrying a boy from one of the families that she knew. Her future husband could be growing up alongside her on the other side of the curtain in Temple. And she'd most likely meet and marry him before she was 22. Talia really wanted to be married. And there's a word for women who aren't married by 22. Nebuch, which means sort of a sad, um, misfortunate, (laughs) pitiable. Um, So you would say, for instance... Oh, did you hear that Sarah is, she's 27 and she's still single. Nebuch. It translates roughly to loser. But Talia's not a loser. She's not. Talia's very, very smart. Okay, she's got an advanced degree. She's an engineer. She's not a loser. Let's just get that straight. But she didn't want to be Nebuch. So before she got her advanced degree and became an engineer when she was still a college student, she got her resume together, her matchmaker resume. So the profile says, I enjoy traveling, reading, sewing, going to museums, hiking, playing music, spending time with family and friends. A sense of humor is very important to me, as is learning and exploring every day. Then I write what I'm looking for. So I'm looking for someone who is kind and warm-hearted and who is caring and not judgmental about others, despite being Torahic. So that means uh, sort of righteous and following halacha, so following all the Jewish rules. Um, I'm looking for an intelligent, educated man who is working but is, this is a hard phrase here, but is kovea itim batora. That means uh, somebody who learns Bible or the Talmud every day. Um, and who has a sense of humor and is interested in a wide range of subjects. Talia's resume goes out to eligible bachelors or their mothers. 
who do the orthodox equivalent of swiping right. And Talia starts to receive resumes from eligible guys for her own review. The process has begun. Okay, you know how married people do that annoying thing where they ask their single friends to go on their Tinder just to, like, look, just want to see how it works? Okay, that's basically what I do in this interview with Talia, only her Tinder is a pile of actual resumes, which I ask her to read to me. This is a good example of one. Literally what he writes is he puts his birth date. His height is 5'11". He says what his parents do. His father is a, does something with public health. His mother is a former judge. Oh, okay, so that's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> he lists his synagogue, his three siblings, uh, and then he lists his education. So he says he got a degree in biology and a master of public health, and then he worked in health and safety. That's actually a really educated one. Wow, I'm impressed. Okay. <laughs> Are you going to go back to that one? Mm, <laughs> probably not, okay. but, uh, you know, there's always a chance. This this guy, here's another one. Uh, he only lists where he went to school, three friends, and his show and phone numbers for those people. Oh, here's one that actually has information. Okay, so he writes, he graduated this high school and he got a master's degree in education. And then he writes, I am working as a remedial Gemara teacher, so Jewish law, uh, an assistant English teacher. I would like to learn in Kolel, so that means uh, study Jewish law full time, once married, though I appreciate that such an opportunity will depend upon practicality. I am open to relocating. Uh, yeah. There, there are very few that actually list much. There's one more. If you're Pause here. I don't know how many of you out here in the secular world have been on dating apps, but if you are, are you all nodding your heads like, yeah, yeah, this is the same kind of crap we ladies have out here too. Yep, we're just uh, pouring out our hearts into our profiles, and this guy can barely cobble together like a basic description of himself. Like this is the, this is the non-Tinder equivalent of a guy just holding a fish, basically. <laughs> anyway, aside from that off-balance resume process, Talia does go on a few dates. Just quick trigger warning for anyone who is currently dating. So you have to go either to like a public place or you can have like a chaperone if you're somewhere more private. So, yeah, oh, there were so many awkward dates. Uh, I remember I dated this one guy and he... He took me to, like, a Holiday Inn that had, like, a garden inside, and he bought a soda, and he brought a backgammon set, and he wanted us to, like, play backgammon, and I had never played backgammon before, and the whole time during the backgammon game, he kept saying, like, oh, that the girl is really just doing pretty well at backgammon. Oh, no, no, no. The girl, the girl might be beating me at backgammon. <laughs> The whole time during the backgammon game. And then afterwards, he asked me, who in the Bible would you most want to date? And I had no idea how to respond. So I said, who in the Bible would you want to date? And he said, 
Uh, I think Leia. Leia was, she was pretty cool. Rachel, she was all right, but Leia, mm. I mean, she seemed real cool. <laughs> I would have been like, I don't know, Jesus? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we don't have the New Testament, so that would have been oh, super awkward. Future Bible. Yeah. Wow, I'm a dumb person. Uh, most no Christians worries. are, honestly. <laughs> I gotta say, I'm pretty, rep- I'm a good representative sample. Not, not smart. Now, okay, so you did not have a dream date from the Bible for this man. Okay, tell me another bad date story. So I had another date, and uh, this is like a month or two later, and and it was a different guy, and he took me to the same Holiday Inn. (laughs) So we sat there without drinking anything, and then at one point he I asked him, like, oh, you know, what was your favorite subject in school? And... And I'm, I'm pretty academic <laughs> and kind of nerdy. Uh, so I was expecting him to say something. And I remember him saying, oh, I just I hated school. I think my favorite thing to do in school was to just try to get the teacher to stop teaching. So anything I could do to distract the teacher was my favorite. Okay. Eventually, Talia does go on a date outside of the Holiday Inn. It is not much of an improvement. He took me ice skating and he broke his arm like five minutes in. Uh, And I had to take him to the emergency room. And it was super awkward because I couldn't really touch him, but he was on the ice. So I had to like try to pick him up without like actually touching his hand or anything. And then I spent seven hours in the emergency room with this guy that I didn't know at all. just trying not to to die from like the awkwardness of it all Uh, and his phone was dead so he he couldn't call anyone okay that has to be the low point like a guy breaks a guy I'm sorry a guy breaks his arm and you have to take him to the ER It has to be the low point. It is, it is sort of. I went out with this one guy and we went to the aquarium. And he, I guess he was really like struggling to make conversation. And then I kept asking him questions and he would just respond with one word answers like yes or no. And at one point we got to this big fish tank full of jellyfish. And he said to me, are these live? And I said, yeah, yeah, the jellyfish are alive. And he said, no, 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 are they live? So I thought he meant maybe maybe he thinks it's a recording or something. So I said, no, 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 they're, they're real jellyfish in the tank. He said, no, no, I get that, but is it live? And, and I just completely froze. I didn't know how else they could be live. Just like for any of us, the process of dating is exhausting and boring. At the same time, Talia doesn't connect with any of these guys. And then she does connect with a guy. But not one of these guys. Just a guy. I was on my way home from work. And I got on the train and I sat down and I saw this uh, guy sitting next to me, which already is kind of scandalous. But um, uh, and I sort of vaguely recognized him from synagogue. Like I had seen him on the other side of the 
Mechita, which is the, the curtain thing. Um, so I vaguely recognized him, and I, I guess I was uh, bold at that point. So I said, hi, uh, what's your name? And I sort of introduced myself, and he, we, we chatted a bit. And when we got, got to his stop, I realized it was pouring outside, and I had parked near the train. So, so I asked him if he wanted to ride home. Okay, I love this. It's perfect. It's exciting. Finally, we are in rom-com territory, not a buddy comedy where a 35-year-old stranger and podcast host tries to set you up with somebody. Yeah, it was kind of exciting. (laughs) And he was kind of cute. He had like, I don't know, he was tall. He had dark hair. He was French. So uh, he had an entertaining accent. This handsome stranger with a French accent from synagogue is dreamy and he finds Talia online and he asks her if she wants to hang out. Now, this is not the official process that, you know, should be followed, but Talia says yes. She goes to a concert in the park with him, but first they stop at Walgreens and they get snacks so they have kosher food to eat and there's a musician and they're they're watching this hilarious musician and they're laughing. This guy's funny. He makes Talia laugh. And we just sat and talked and and he was he decided that since nobody was really like super into the music, he just went for it. So every time a song ended, he would just cheer and clap like crazy, like it was the best thing he had ever heard. Uh <laughs> he was just really funny and I think we we walked around for a while, and I remember the next morning calling my sister, and I think I said something along the lines of, like, this was the best date I've ever been on. But again, this is not, this is not the process. You're not supposed to meet a guy on the train and just go hang out. Even if you never touch, even if you are always in public, even if you do every other thing right. So it was it was super different, and uh, and I remember my sister. She kept telling me, you know, are you sure that you're dating? Like, you want you should probably double check that he thinks that these are dates. And I told her, of course they're dates. It's just him and me, and he's paying for food, and we're going out by ourselves, and we talk and we spend hours together. Like, it has to be dates. Like, this is dating. That's what dating is. Yeah, I mean, that's a weird question, sister. Like, of course they're dating. They do datey things. And when they're not on dates, they're texting all day long. I had, like, started practicing some French and to, like, you know, impress his parents. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we we saw uh, Guardians of the Galaxy together, which was very scandalous also because we were alone in a dark theater, just the two of us. <laughs> and... Uh, I remember kind of being nervous about it, but afterward, I kept texting him like, I am Groot, I am Groot. <laughs> Look, you're not going to text, I am Groot, to a guy you're not dating. Obviously, they're dating. It was like, I guess, about two months after we had started hanging out, uh, and um, I was driving him home to his apartment, and we were just sitting in the car, and I think uh, I asked him, like, oh, do you have plans for the holiday that was coming up? 
And he said, oh, yeah, this uh, lady that I know invited me over. and But it's kind of awkward because I think she's been trying to set me up with somebody. And I was like, okay, all right, all right. And he says, yeah, and, you know, I'm, I'm really not interested in dating or relationships right now because, you know, my visa's expiring next year. And I just don't think that this is a good time in my life. I'm, like, too young to have relationships. Uh, and I'm, like, trying to keep driving. And... All I could think of is, like, my sister's voice in the back of my head, like, I told you so. I told you you should ask him and, like, clarify that this is actually what's going on. And I just felt like such an idiot. Such an idiot. (laughs) Uh, My heart. Why are you like this, guy? Ugh. Talia's heartbroken, and so am I, because yes, I've been there, and I'm not going to name names, but you know who you are. Yes, I still think about you. Do I hold a grudge? Maybe. Heartbreak number one for Talia is in the books. So she goes back to focusing on her work and leaving love to the matchmakers. She ends up going to Europe for a work conference, and one night she sees a guy. He's on the other side of the terrace. And he's looking at her, you know, he's looking at her like, like he knows her. So I went over and I sort of introduced myself and we started chatting, him and this other guy and me. And uh, after that first night, it was pretty much just like, we, I don't know, it was just like, it's hard to explain. But like, you know, when you click with someone and you just can't explain it. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can like close your eyes and you could tell that like they're in the same room as you. And I don't know how to explain it. But um, yeah, he's just like really funny. He's really funny. Now, there's there's a problem, though. This guy's Italian and Catholic. So clearly that did not pan out. But. Talia still got to feel that spark again. And that spark is so great because it just reminds you that you're a person and you can feel those things for someone, even if they aren't the right someone. Talia goes back to the U.S., goes back to work, and she meets a coworker. This is like really cute South Indian guy. Uh... <laughs> very, very Muslim. And I just knew, like, there is no way <laughs> that this is going to be able to work out. Like, I'm just going to have to go through the whole thing all over again of just <sighs> of having all these feelings for someone that I know I can never be with. Now that she's crushed on the trifecta of Abrahamic religions, Talia is feeling like so many of us have felt during the dating process. Exhausted and frustrated and very alone and like you might be secretly defective, but nobody can figure out why. So right when she's lost all hope for finding her person, it happens. A lady at synagogue, her son had gone to school with him. uh, And so she suggested it. um, But we were not living in the same place at the time. So we started by just talking on the phone. What was your first phone call like? 
he was funny and seemed really smart. And we talked for a little bit. I remember we talked about like philosophy because uh, I'm a bit of a nerd about that. Uh, so we talked about philosophy and we just it was maybe like three hours on the phone with him the first time. And um, that's a long time. So like there was chemistry here, right? Yeah. I mean, it was pretty obvious. Like, I remember at the end of the first one, he he said something along the lines of like, I don't usually do this because he doesn't usually get set up. And and I definitely don't get set up with people who don't live in the same place I do. But I don't know. I just feel like we have chemistry. So like, what do you think? Like, is it worth giving it a shot? Yes, it is worth it. He's great. He's matchmaker approved, parent approved funny, clever. Like she had with the other guys, he and Talia have that instant rapport and chemistry where you're like itching to look at your phone and everything about this person is a delight. Okay, he texted me, here's a philosophical quandary I've been contemplating on my flight. When Vanessa Carlton says, if I could fall into the sky, do you think time would pass me by? What does she mean? How would falling into the sky, some suspension or reversal of gravity, I suppose, allow time to pass somebody by? Doesn't time already pass us by? Does she think she'd be immune from it? And how would that be possible? I mean, gravity is clearly conditional on time. And if she meant that... Where a text like this, which means nothing to anyone else, makes you feel so excited about that. I'd walk a thousand miles if I could just see you tonight. What does that have to do with her initial question? <laughs> he just wrote me this like the longest thing. And then he says, and yes, I do have better things to do with my life. Thank you very much. I was in the middle of a gripping story of a man debating whether to fall in the ways of the sins of his past or embrace a different future, having to support his wife, three children and a dog as well. I think it's called Despicable Me 3. <laughs> so finally they meet in real life. And guess what? He lives up to all the phone calls and text messages. He, yeah, he's cute. He's got, like, uh, these, like, nice green eyes. And he's got, like, black curly hair. It's kind of annoying, actually. It, like, falls in his eyes and a little bit. So I was, like, always tempted to, like, push it out of the out of his eyes. Uh, and, like, kind of rosy cheeks. He is, he's cute. <laughs> he's, he's, like, he's got, like, a big smile. And he, like, smiles really, really wide. And his eyes get, like, all narrowed. <laughs> did you talk, like, did you say you loved each other? Yeah. So, yeah, I actually it was, like, the worst timing ever. So I think we had both, like, sort of been trying to find the right moment. Uh, and we had this fight. And then at the end of the fight, we were, like, sort of, like, making up. And I'm, like... You're so annoying, and I can't believe I love you, and... Rom-com bingo. Shouting I love you during an argument. Talia is now in her mid-twenties. She's getting right to the point where she could be Nibach. But she finally met the right guy, a guy who's weird in the same way she is, who laughs at the same weird stuff, a guy she already loves. So when he asks her to talk one day privately like where do you think this is going because I know where I think it's going at first I sort of thought maybe he's going to propose or maybe he's going to say something something like that I don't know 
after dinner, he asked me if I wanted to just like go for a walk around the block. Um, and so, and then we found somewhere to sit and he, he sort of, sort of became a little more serious and he was like, listen, I have something to tell you and it's very serious. And then he said, listen, I, um, I just want to like you to promise me that like you're not going to tell anyone about what it is because like it's very serious. Okay, so maybe this isn't going to be a proposal. And maybe this is a good place to take a break because we are the worst. (laughs) We're back. Talia and her dude are sitting on a park bench. They are in love. He's asked to talk to her privately. She's bracing herself for a marriage proposal. But then he tells her it's serious. And I got worried. I was like, okay, maybe he's got like athlete's foot or like he's balding. He must be balding. Oh, shoot. Uh, so I got nervous, and he, he was like, listen, you just have to promise me before I tell you what it is that you won't tell anyone. So I'm like, okay, I guess so. And um, and then he said, like, listen, you have to promise me also that, like, you're not going to hate me once I tell you. And I was like, what? I, like, love you. How am I going to hate you? So Talia's handsome boyfriend who she loves, looks her in the eye and says, I suffer from pedophilia. No, what? What? Yeah. I mean, it was kind of surreal. And I think it felt sort of like time stopped. First I asked him sort of what does that mean? And then I I just, I started, <laughs> stupid as it sounds, I started laughing. Uh, and then he asked me, he's like, what are you laughing about? And I think I said, wow, God really has a sense of humor. Like, I fall in love with, like, a Catholic and a Muslim, and I finally meet, like, an Orthodox Jew that I really care about, and and they like me, and everything seems to work. <laughs> and really, this is what you're going to do? Um, yeah, it was so painful. I and like hard to really wrap my head around. How did he did he have more to say other than I suffer from pedophilia? Like what did he mean by that? Yeah, so I was like you have to you have to explain to me what that means and so he basically said, yeah, he's sexually attracted to 7 to 12-year-old boys. Um he he, he claims that he has not committed any offenses, um, but that he struggles with it all every day. Uh, and he is committed, you know, to not uh, harming any kids, but he can't promise me that nothing would ever happen. Talia is sitting on a public park bench with the man she loves the man she thought she'd be marrying, and he's telling her that he has pedophiliac thoughts and that she can't tell anyone. And honestly, one of the first things that I thought of was 
big brother, big sister, because he he's a big brother in the program. And he does bar mitzvah lessons uh, for like 11 and 12-year-old boys. And uh, it was just, yeah. I had like... I had booked a flight for him to come for my nephew's bar mitzvah like three weeks later and spend a week with all of my nieces and nephews and my family. And it was just like, uh, like I couldn't even, it, it was almost like, who is this person that I had spent all this time getting to know and I thought I knew I mean, I think I was going through a lot of different emotions. So I started sobbing at one point and then I had the little laughing fit. But it was just like this like intense feeling also of almost like betrayal too. Like I had been so open and vulnerable with him. Like, I remember a couple months in, I had stressed so much about how to tell him that, like, I suffer with depression, like, all the things I'm doing to work on it. Like, I'm on medication, you know, and I I go to a therapist all the time, and I had been so open about everything. And I said, listen, I want to tell you up front so that way, you know, we can deal with it, and I don't want to keep something that that's like a big deal from you. And I had been really open about all of the like stuff in my family. And <laughs> and it felt like, okay, I had tried so hard. And, and he basically told me if I'd realized that you would react this way, I wouldn't have told you. This is so hard for everyone. He had these thoughts and they weren't actions, but... He does surround himself with kids and the volunteer work he does. Talia tried to understand. He didn't want her to say anything, and Talia agreed not to say anything. He confessed to her that he watches foreign films that have naked children in them for sexual reasons. And she tried to be okay with it because they still love each other. Talia needs some time to think and to think about what she just learned about this man she loves and what it might mean for her. And because he's got a long business trip coming up, she gets time. She gets time by herself. And even though she knows that she's promised not to tell anyone, what if she tells just one person? So I... So I remember the next morning I called my therapist and I was like, is there any way you can meet with me today? I have, like, I need to be able to talk about this. And um, she was just kind of like in shock because I think even she had been sort of really excited about the whole, (laughs) the whole relationship. And she had heard a lot about everything and we had worked a lot on like trust and being vulnerable. And I had been very open with her and with him about like, you know, what I had been working on. So I talked to her a little bit and I was just, but that was for one hour. (laughs) 
so the rest of the time I was just feeling really overwhelmed so I found an anonymous hotline where you can call a rabbi (laughs) and they were just completely in shock Uh, and in the end they told me listen I really honestly think you should talk to your family uh, your parents at least because like this is too much for you to like deal with on your own Uh, but I like I didn't want their like opinions to sort of pressure me in one way or another now if you're like this is a no-brainer you obviously don't marry a pedophile and you tell everyone about it and then you just move on to the next eligible guy gotta consider that Talia is in her late 20s and that she can loudly hear that countdown clock of her eligibility and she's achieved all these huge professional milestones but she's still striving for that big personal one she wants to be married she wants to have a family and she's in love with this man I mean I like you know I all my friends from high school are married and have like three or four kids. All of my friends have kids. My my siblings have a whole bunch of kids. I want to have kids of my own. I mean, and that's just like half of the situation. And then the other half is like, you know, as I like shortly found out, like he's masturbating to videos of young boys multiple times a week. Uh, you know, what kind of like life am I really going to be able to have with somebody who's primary sexual attraction is to children. The answer is no kind of life. So Talia decides it's over. They're going to break up. I felt like I I should, you know, do it in person. I, I just felt like I owed him that. So, um... I asked him, you know, to meet, and um, we met, and I, you know, we, like, so I started sort of talking through all of the issues that I was having with it, and I was crying, and I was like, I just, I don't know how I could live with myself if, like, anything were to happen to anyone because of me. And before I could even say, like, like I'm thinking about breaking up, he he said, you know what, I'm just, I'm ending it. I'm breaking up with you. And he got up and he just, like, walked out, honestly. And I, I was just completely, like, shocked, actually, I think. And so I got up and I ran. I had, like, high heel boots on, so... For, for everyone's reference, never break up with anyone with high-heeled boots. So anyway, so I ran after him, and I chased him for like like five blocks, I think. And I I just said to him, listen, I I just wanted to tell you that like I don't want this to be the last thing that you think of. I, I just want to say I I love you and I care about you and I hope that you know that you can take care of yourself and figure something out that like you don't harm yourself or anyone else and um know that I really do care about you and um I gave him a hug (laughs) which again like we had not been 
physically, um, we had, we had not been like physically intimate in, in any way. So that was kind of, I know that, that sounds crazy because like, how can you love someone when you haven't? So your first hug is your last hug? Yeah. <sighs> uh, you like break all those rules yeah. for this guy to say goodbye to him. Also, you are such a better person than me because I would have chased him five blocks to say, you didn't break up with me. I was breaking up with you. Okay? (laughs) And that's what I would have said. Talia's ex-boyfriend did not want to talk with us about this. We did ask. It's really so hard to want things. There's that huge risk that we might not get it and that being open about what we want is like saying, hey world, come disappoint me. Come send me some people to love who are religiously incompatible with me and after that, send me a guy who's a confessed pedophile. There are are less specific examples too. Talia is back in the dating game now, sort of. Her resume is still out there, and she's still getting resumes. But if she asked me to, I would punch up her resume a little bit. I'd give it a little pizzazz. In fact, that's what I did, because I'm a meddler. So here it is. Talia is such a catch. She's smarter than you. She's so funny. She knows exactly what she wants in life, and she's going to get it. So she needs a guy who can keep up. She needs a guy who understands her wit and her charm. She needs a guy who can hold a conversation and hold her up while she karate chops through the glass ceiling. She's got a bruised up heart, but that's okay. That's what hearts were made for. I have something. I actually have something this time. This is pertinent information to the topic at hand. Don't look at me like that. It's actually, this is not about me needing to go to the bathroom or get water. I have actual information that our listeners care about. And so do you. You do. You do. What happens sometimes, Hans, Hans, what happens... What happens sometimes is many months go by between when we interview a person and when their episode comes out. And sometimes a person will just, you know, reach out, be in touch, tell us how they are right now. That happened. Talia sent us a message. And I think everyone wants to hear it. Hey, guys, it's Talia. A few days ago, my ex called me for the first time in months and months. We spoke and... We've, we ended up talking for hours, and it's funny how you can just go right back to those <laughs> feelings that seem seem sort of like distant memories, um, and yet nothing's really changed all that much. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I think he called because it's the, you know, it's been the Jewish New Year this time of year, and I think he probably just found himself reflecting, as I, I know I have. And he said he, he hoped that maybe we could move on and, and try again, and it's it's a little bit heartbreaking, you know, just to keep replaying it in my mind, but at the end of the day, I think, you know, he understood my perspective a little bit, and and he's a little bit more open, I think, to the idea of finding help, finding someone he can talk to about the problems, and I don't know that I can be that person, but I do think that he'll always be somewhere in my life, even if it's just at the back of my mind, um, hoping that he's doing okay. <sighs> Falling in love has this, this strange effect on you that, at least for me, no matter how long time passes or how my feelings change or evolve, I... I still have this goodwill and warmth towards the person, and I don't know. Sometimes I think it's maybe it's just meant to change the way I look at everyone. You know, I I guess I never really look at people the same anymore. You know, maybe that's maybe that's the point. Maybe. All of these experiences have just sort of broadened my view of humanity and made me a kinder, more loving person. I mean, I, I hope there's some purpose in it all, but... Yeah. So, anyway... Happy New Year from me, and um, bye-bye. This has been terrible. Thanks for asking. I'm Nora McNerney. Our senior producer is Hans Buto. Our assistant producer is Marcel Malikibu. Our project manager is Hannah Meacock-Ross. We have two interns, Emma and Taylor. They're new, new to the crew. They're doing, they're doing a good job. Who listened to this episode? I know Tracy did. You know what? I'm pretty sure Tracy helped us. Tracy always helps us. <laughs> Tracy always helps, especially when we're in a pickle. So um, thank you, everyone. Oh, wait, Hans, I have more. I have more. I have more. Okay. It's relevant. Okay, look, I have a relevant book recommendation. If you like reading about real women living real lives, having real complicated relationships, you're going to like the book My Own Devices by 
my friend Dessa. Dessa's a rapper. She's a writer. She's just a very fascinating, interesting woman. And she's written a collection of essays about love and science and life on the road. And I asked her to read from a chapter for us. So here you go. Today's conventional wisdom says that the best way to live a life is to keep all the components partitioned. Love, money, friends. You're not supposed to date your boss or go bowling with your analyst or borrow large sums of money from your drinking buddies. We think of ourselves as a store-bought cake with a sheet of wax paper separating all the slices so that they never touch. Neat, single servings. But hanging out with Doomtree, it was all one thing. Social, professional, romantic. I did all of it with the same people and often at the same time. There were no hobbies and no off hours, no work-life balance. There was just writing songs and walking to Super America for cigarettes and drafting set lists and drinking with the guys and making album budgets and goofing off and collapsing into sleep tucked into the leopard print of my boyfriend's left shoulder. None of it came apart from the rest. On stage, we were still a mess, and that was part of the magic. Someone was always bleeding into his microphone or trying to catch the mixer before the bass rattled it off the table and crashed it to the floor. The precariousness of the live show was like a watermark that proved to the audience it was all real. We hadn't rehearsed these moments, choreographed these feelings. That was not a staged fall. That was just a fall fall. I sweat through my clothes with the rest of the guys, full of whiskey and adrenaline and youth and anger. Stage was a place for all of the outsized feelings that didn't fit neatly into daily life. You can't scream in love or fury in line at the Walgreens pharmacy. You can't roughhouse with grown men at the post office. And you can't calmly explain to your parents that you'd rather sleep outside, under a stranger's hedge, than in your own bed. But with a little songcraft, those dark moods were perfect grists for performance. We rattled up the biggest feelings in one another and anyone else close enough to hear. It's called My Own Devices. It's by Dessa. Yes, she only has one name. And it's out now. Okay, bye. Oh, we're made at American Public Media, APM, where there's one studio everyone fights over. <laughs>